Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, my lovely listeners. I have two Japanese folk stories for you today. The Golden Boy, a child with supreme strength, and Princess Haze, whose words move the heavens. Both classic old Japanese folk tales. Now, currently, it's raining over here, so you might hear a bit of thunder or water drops, but you know what? That might just add to the story. I have my delicious lemon tea, though, to combat this frosty weather. And I hope you have your own hot beverage as well. Now turn those lights off, turn up the sound, and let me share with you a tale from old Japan. The Adventures of Kintaro, the Golden Boy Long, long ago, there lived in Kyoto a brave soldier named Kintoki. Now, he fell in love with a beautiful lady and married her. Not long after this, through the malice of some of his friends, he fell into disgrace at court and was dismissed. This misfortune so preyed upon his mind that he did not long survive his dismissal. He died, leaving behind him his beautiful young wife to face the world alone. Fearing his husband's enemies, she fled to Ashigara Mountains as soon as her husband was dead, and there, in the lonely forests where no one ever came except woodcutters, a little boy was born to her. She called him Kintaro, or the Golden Boy. Now, the remarkable thing about this child was his great strength. As he grew older, he grew stronger and stronger, so that by the time he was eight years of age, he was able to cut down trees as quickly as the woodcutters. Then, his mother gave him a large axe, and he used to go out in the forest and help the woodcutters, who called him Wonder Child. And his mother, the old nurse of the mountains, for they did not know her high rank. Another favorite pastime of Kintaro's was to smash up rocks and stones. You can imagine how strong he was. Quite unlike other boys, Kintaro grew up all alone in the mountain wilds, and as he had no companions, he made friends with all the animals and learned to understand them and to speak their strange talk. By degrees, they all grew quite tame and looked upon Kintaro as their master, and he used them as his servants and messengers. But his special retainers were the bear, the deer, the monkey, and the hare. The bear often brought her cubs for Kintaro to romp with, and when she came to take them home, Kintaro would get on her back and have a ride to her cave. He was very fond of the deer too, and would often put his arms around the creature's neck to show that its long horns did not frighten him. Great was the fun they all had together. One day, as usual, Kintaro went into the mountains, followed by the bear, the deer, the monkey, and the hare. After walking for some time uphill and down dale and over rough roads, they suddenly came out upon a wide and grassy plain covered with pretty wildflowers. Here, indeed, was a nice place where they could all have a good romp together. The deer rubbed his horns against a tree for pleasure, the monkey scratched his back, 
the hare smoothed his long ears, and the bear gave a grunt of satisfaction. Kintaro said, Here is a place for a good game. What do you all say to a wrestling match? The bear, being the biggest and the oldest, answered for the others. That will be great fun, she said. I am the strongest animal, so I will make the platform for the wrestlers. And as she set to work, with a will to dig up the earth and to pat it into shape. All right, said Kintaro. I will look on while you all wrestle each other. I shall give a prize to the one who wins each round. What fun! We shall all try to get the prize, said the bear. The deer, the monkey, and the hare set to work to help the bear raise the platform on which they all were to wrestle. When this was finished, Kintaro cried out, Now begin! The monkey and the hare shall open the sports, and the deer shall be umpire. <laughs> Answered the deer, I will be umpire. Now, Mr. Monkey and Mr. Hare, if you are both ready, please walk out and take your places on the platform. Then the monkey and the hare both hopped out, quickly and nimbly to the wrestling platform. The deer as umpire stood between the two and called out, Red back! Red back! This to the monkey, who has a red back in Japan. Are you ready? Then he turned to the hare. Long ears! Long ears! Are you ready? Both the little wrestlers faced each other, while the deer raised a leaf on Hire's signal. When he dropped the leaf, the monkey and the hare rushed upon each other, crying, Yosha! While the monkey and the hare wrestled, the deer called out encouragingly, or shouted warnings to each of them, as the hare or the monkey pushed each other near the edge of the platform and were in danger of falling over. Red back! Red back! Stand your ground! called out the deer. Long ears! Long ears! Be strong! Be strong! Don't let the monkey beat you! grunted the bear. So the monkey and the hare, encouraged by their friends, tried their very hardest to beat each other. The hare at last gained on the monkey, and the monkey seemed to trip up, and the hare, giving him a good push, sent him flying off the platform with a bound. The poor monkey sat up rubbing his back, and his face was very long, and he screamed angrily. Oh, how my back hurts! My back hurts me! Seeing the monkey in this plight on the ground, the deer, holding his leaf on high, said, The round is finished. The hare has won. Kintaro then opened his luncheon box, and taking out a rice dumpling, gave it to the hare, saying, Here is your prize, and you have earned it well. Now the monkey got up looking very cross, and as they say in Japan, his stomach stood up, for he felt that he had not been fairly beaten. So he said to Kintaro and the others who were standing by, I have not been fairly beaten. My foot slipped and I tumbled. Please give me another chance and let the hare wrestle with me for another round. Then Kintaro consented. The hare and the monkey began to wrestle again. Now, as everyone knows, the monkey is a cunning animal by nature, and he made up his mind to get the best of the hare this time, if it were possible. To do this, he thought the best and surest way would be to get hold of the hare's long ears. This he soon managed to do. The hare was quite thrown off his guard by the pain of having his long ear pulled so hard, and the monkey, seizing his opportunity at last, caught hold of one of the hare's legs and sent him sprawling in the middle of the dais. The monkey was now the victor, and received a rice dumpling from Kintaro, which pleased him so much that he quite forgot 
his sore back. The deer now came up and asked the hare if he felt ready for another round, and if so, whether he would try a round with him. And the hare consenting, they both stood up to wrestle. The bear came forward as umpire. The deer with long horns and the hare with long ears. It must have been an amusing sight to see who watched this queer match. Suddenly, the deer went down on one of his knees, and the bear with the leaf on high declared him beaten. In this way, sometimes the one, sometimes the other, conquering. The little party amused themselves till they were tired. At last, Kintaro got up and said, This is enough for today. What a nice place we have found for wrestling. Let us come again tomorrow. Now we will all go home. Come along. So saying, Kintaro led the way while the animals followed. After walking some little distance, they came out on the banks of a river, flowing through a valley. Kintaro and his four furry friends stood and looked about for some means of crossing. Bridge, there was none. The river rushed, don don on its way. All the animals looked serious, wondering how they could cross the stream and get home that evening. Kintaro, however, said, Wait a moment, I will make a good bridge for you all in a few minutes. The bear, the deer, the monkey, and the hare looked at him to see what he would do now. Kintaro went from one tree to another that grew along the riverbank. At last, he stopped in front of a very large tree that was growing at the water's edge. He took hold of the trunk and pulled it with all his might. Once, twice, thrice. At the third pull, so great was Kintaro's strength that the roots gave way and overfell the tree, forming an excellent bridge across the stream. There, said Kintaro. What do you think of my bridge? It is quite safe, so follow me. And he stepped across first. The four animals followed. Never had they seen anyone so strong before. And they all exclaimed, How strong is he? How strong is he? While all this was going on by the river, a woodcutter, who had happened to be standing on a rock overlooking the stream, had seen all that pass beneath him. He watched with great surprise, Kentaro and his animal companions. He rubbed his eyes to be sure that he was not dreaming when he saw this boy pull over a tree by the roots and throw it across the stream to form a bridge. The woodcutter, for such he seemed to be by his dress, marveled at all he saw and said to himself, This is no ordinary child. Whose son can it be? I will find out before this day is done. He hastened after the strange party and crossed the bridge behind them. Kintaro knew nothing of all this, and little guessed that he was being followed. On reaching the other side of the river, he and the animals separated, they two to their lairs in the woods, and he to his mother, who was waiting for him. As soon as he entered the cottage, which stood like a matchbox in the heart of the pine woods, he went to greet his mother, saying, Okasan, here I am. Okimbo, said his mother with a bright smile, glad to see her boy home safe after the long day. How late you are today. I fear that something had happened to you. Where have you been all this time? I took my four friends, the bear, the deer, the monkey, and the hare, up into the hills, and there I made them try a wrestling match to see which was the strongest. We all enjoyed the sport and are going to the same place tomorrow to have another match. Now, tell me, who is the strongest of all? Asked his mother, pretending not to know. Oh, mother, said Kintaro. 
don't you know that I am the strongest? There was no need for me to wrestle with any of them. But next to you then, who is the strongest? The bear came next to me in strength, answered Gintaro. And after the bear? Asked his mother, again. Next to the bear, it is not easy to say which is the strongest, for the deer, the monkey, and the hare all seem to be as strong as each other, said Kintaro. Suddenly, Kintaro and his mother were startled by a voice from outside. Listen to me, little boy. Next time you go, take this old man with you to the wrestling match. He would like to join the sport too. It was the old woodcutter who had followed Kintaro from the river. He slipped off his clogs and entered the cottage. Yamauba and her son were both taken by surprise. They looked at the intruder wonderingly and saw that he was someone they had never seen before. Who, Who are you? you? They both exclaimed. Then the woodcutter laughed and said, It does not matter who I am yet, but let us see who has the strongest arm, this boy or myself. Then Kintaro, who had lived all his life in the forest, answered the old man without any ceremony, saying, We will try it if you wish it, but you must not be angry, whoever is beaten. Then Kintaro and the woodcutter both put out their right arms and grasped each other's hands. For a long time, Kintaro and the old man wrestled together in this way, each trying to bend the other's arm. But the old man was very strong, and the strange pair were evenly matched. At last, the old man desisted, declaring it a drawn game. You are indeed a very strong child. There are few men who could boast of the strength of my right arm, said the woodcutter. I saw you first on the banks of the river a few hours ago, when you pulled up that large tree to make a bridge across the torrent. Hardly able to believe what I saw, I followed you home. Your strength of arm, which I've just tried, proves what I saw this afternoon. When you are full grown, you will surely be the strongest man in all Japan. It is a pity that you are hidden away in these wild mountains. Then he turned to Kintaro's mother. And you, mother, have you no thought of taking your child to the capital and of teaching him to carry a sword as befits a samurai? You are very kind to take so much interest in my son, replied the mother. But he is, as you see, wild and uneducated, and I fear it would be very difficult to do as you say. Because of his great strength as an infant, I hid him away in this unknown part of the country, for he hurt everyone that came near him. I have often wished that I could one day see my boy a knight wearing two swords. But as we have no influential friends to introduce us at the capital, I fear my hope will never come true. You need not trouble yourself about that. To tell you the truth, I am no... Woodcutter, I am one of the great generals of Japan. My name is Saramitsu, and I am a vassal of the powerful lord Minamoto no Ryuko. He ordered me to go around the country and look for boys who gave promise of remarkable strength, so that they may be trained as soldiers for his army. I thought I could best do this by assuming the disguise of a woodcutter. By good fortune, I have thus unexpectedly come across your son. Now, if you really wish him to be a samurai, 
I will take him and present him to the Lord Ryoko as a candidate for his service. What do you say to this? As the kind general gradually unfolded his plan, the mother's heart filled with a great joy. She saw that here was a wonderful chance of the one wish of her life being fulfilled, that of seeing Kentaro, a samurai, before she died. Bowing her head to the ground, she replied, I will then entrust my son to you if you really mean what you say. Kentaro had all this time been sitting by his mother's side listening to what they said. When his mother finished speaking, he exclaimed, Oh joy, joy! I am to go with the general and one day be a samurai. Thus Kentaro's fate was settled and the general decided to start for the capital at once, taking Kentaro with him. It need hardly be said that Yamauba was sad at parting with her boy, for he was all that was left to her. But she did her grief with a strong face, as they say in Japan. She knew that it was for her boy's good that he should leave her now, and she must not discourage him just as he was setting out. Kentaro promised never to forget her, and said that as soon as he was a knight wearing two swords, he would build her a home and take care of her in her old age. All the animals, those he had tamed to serve him, the bear, the deer, the monkey, and the hare, as soon as they found out that he was going away, came to ask if they might attend him as usual. When they learned that he was going away for good, they followed him to the foot of the mountain to see him off. Kimbo, said his mother, mind and be a good boy. Mr. Kentaro, said the faithful animals, we wish you good health on your travels. Then they all climbed the tree to see the last of him, and from that height they watched him and his shadow gradually grow smaller and smaller till he was lost to sight. The general, Saramitsu, went on his way rejoicing at having so unexpectedly found such a prodigy as Kintaro. Having arrived at their destination, the general took Kintaro at once to his lord, Minamoto no Ryako, and told him all about Kintaro, and how he had found the child. Lord Ryako was delighted with the story, and having commanded Kintaro to be brought to him, made him one of his vassals at once. Lord Ryako's army was famous for its band called the Four Braves. These warriors were chosen by himself from amongst the bravest and strongest of his soldiers, and the small and well-picked band was distinguished throughout the whole of Japan for the dauntless courage of its men. When Kintaro grew up to be a man, his master made him the chief of the four braves. He was by far the strongest of them all. Soon after this event, news was brought to the city that a cannibal monster had taken up his abode not far away, and that the people were stricken with fear. Lord Ryoko ordered Kentaro to the rescue. He immediately started off, delighted at the prospect of trying his sword. Surprising the monster in its den, he made short work of cutting off its great head, which he carried back in triumph to his master. Kintaro now rose to be the greatest hero of his country, and great was the power and honor and wealth that came to him. He now kept his promise and built a comfortable home for his old mother, who lived happily with him in the capital to the end of her days. Is not this the story of a great hero?
The story of Princess Haze, a story of old Japan. Many, many years ago, there lived in Nara, the ancient capital of Japan, a wise state minister by name Prince Toyonari Fujiwara. His wife was a noble, good, and beautiful woman called Princess Murasaki. They had been married by their respective families, according to Japanese customs, when very young, and had lived together happily ever since. They had, however, one cause for great sorrow, for as the years went by, no child was born to them. This made them very unhappy, for they both longed to see a child of their own who would grow up to gladden their old age, carry on the family name, and keep up the ancestral rites when they were dead. The prince and his lovely wife, after long consultation and much thought, determined to make a pilgrimage to the temple Haze no Kwanon, goddess of mercy at Haze. For they believed, according to the beautiful tradition of their religion, that the mother of mercy, Kwanon, comes to answer the prayers of mortals in the form that they need most. Surely after all these years of praying, she would come to them in the form of a beloved child, in answer to their special pilgrimage. For that was the greatest need of their two lives. Everything else they had that this life could give them. But it was all as nothing, because the cry of their hearts was unsatisfied. So the prince, Toyonari, went to the temple of Kwanon, Atazi, and stayed there for a long time, both daily offering incense and praying to Quanon, the Heavenly Mother, to grant them the desire of their whole lives. And their prayer was answered. A daughter was born at last to the Princess Murasaki, and great was the joy of her heart. On presenting the child to her husband, they both decided to call her Hazehime, or the Princess of Haze, because she was the gift of the Quanon at that place. They both reared her with great care and tenderness, and the child grew in strength and beauty. When the little girl was five years old, her mother fell dangerously ill, and all the doctors and their medicines could not save her. A little before she breathed her last, she called her daughter to her, and gently stroking her head, said, Hazehime, do you know that your mother cannot live any longer? Though I die, you must grow up a good girl. Do your best not to give trouble to your nurse or any family member. Perhaps your father will marry again, and someone will fill my place as your mother. If so, do not grieve for me, but look upon your father's second wife as your true mother, and be obedient and filial to both her and your father. Remember, when you are grown up, to be submissive to those who are your superiors and to be kind to all those who are under you. Don't forget this. I die with the hope that you will grow up a model woman. Hazehime listened in an attitude of respect while her mother spoke, and promised to do all she was told. There is a proverb which says, As the soul is at three, so it is at one hundred. So Hazehime grew up as her mother had wished a good and obedient little princess, though she was now too young to understand how great was the loss of her mother. Not long after the death of his first wife, Prince Toyonari married again, 
and a lady of noble birth named Princess Terute. Very different in character, alas, to the good and wise Princess Murasaki. This woman had a cruel, bad heart. She did not love her stepdaughter at all, and was often very unkind to the little motherless girl, saying to herself, This is not my child! This is not my child! But Hazahime bore every unkindness with patience, and even waited upon her stepmother kindly, and obeyed her in every way, and never gave any trouble, just as she had been trained by her own good mother. So that the lady Terute had no cause for complaint against her. The little princess was very diligent, and her favourite studies were music and poetry. She would spend several hours practising every day, and her father had the most proficient of masters he could find to teach her the koto, also known as the Japanese harp, the art of writing letters and verse. When she was 12 years of age, she could play so beautifully that she and her stepmother were summoned to play before the emperor. It was the festival of the cherry flowers, and there were great festivities at the court. The emperor threw himself into the enjoyment of the season, and commanded that Princess Haze should perform before him on the koto, and that her mother, Princess Terute, should accompany her on the flute. The emperor sat on raised dais, before which was hung a curtain of finely sliced bamboo and purple tassels, so that his majesty might see all and not be seen. For no ordinary subject was allowed to look upon his sacred face. Hazahime was a skilled musician, though so young, and often astonished her masters by her wonderful memory and talent. On this momentous occasion she played well, but Princess Terute, her stepmother, who was a lazy woman and never took the trouble to practice daily, broke down in her accompaniment and had to request one of the court ladies to take her place. This was a great disgrace, and she was furiously jealous to think that she had failed where her stepdaughter succeeded. And to make matters worse, the emperor sent many beautiful gifts to the little princess to reward her for playing so well at the palace. There was also now another reason why Princess Terute hated her stepdaughter, for she had had the good fortune to have a son born to her, and in her inmost heart, she kept saying, If only Hizahime were not here, my son would have all the love of his father. And never having learned to control herself, she allowed this wicked thought to grow into the awful desire of taking her stepdaughter's life. So one day, she secretly ordered some poison, and poisoned some sweet wine. This poisoned wine she put into a bottle, into another similar bottle, she poured some good wine. It was the occasion of the boys' festival on the 5th of May, and Hazehime was playing with her little brother. All his toys of warriors and heroes were spread out, and she was telling him wonderful stories about each of them. They were both enjoying themselves and laughing merrily with their attendants, when his mother entered with the two bottles of wine and some delicious cakes. You are both so good and happy, said the wicked Princess Terute with a smile, that I have brought you some sweet wine as a reward, and here are some nice cakes for my good children. And she filled two cups 
from the different bottles. Hazehime, never dreaming of the dreadful part her stepmother was acting, took one of the cups of wine and gave to her little stepbrother the other that had been poured out for him. The wicked woman had carefully marked the poisoned bottle, but on coming into the room, she had grown nervous and pouring out the wine hurriedly, had unconsciously given the poisoned cup to her own child. All this time, she was anxiously watching the little princess, but to her amazement, no change whatever took place in the young girl's face. Suddenly, the little boy screamed and threw himself on the floor doubled up with pain. His mother flew to him, taking the precaution to upset the two tiny jars which she had brought into the room and lifted him up. The attendants rushed for the doctor, but nothing could save the child. He died within the hour in his mother's arms. Doctors did not know much in those ancient times, and it was thought that the wine had disagreed with the boy, causing convulsions of which he died. Thus was the wicked woman punished in losing her own child when she had tried to do away with her stepdaughter. But instead of blaming herself, she began to hate Hazahime more than ever in the bitterness and wretchedness of her own heart, and she eagerly watched for an opportunity to do her harm, which was, however, long in coming. When Hazahime was 13 years of age, she had already become mentioned as a poetess of some merit. This was an accomplishment very much cultivated by the women of old Japan, and one held in high esteem. It was the rainy season at Nara, and floods were reported every day as doing damage in the neighborhood. The river Tetsuta, which flowed through the imperial palace grounds, was swollen to the top of its banks, and the roaring of the torrent of water rushing along a narrow bed so disturbed the emperor's rest day and night that a serious nervous disorder was the result. An imperial edict was sent forth to all the Buddhist temples commanding the priests to offer up continuous prayers to the heavens to stop the noise of the flood, but this was of no avail. Then it was whispered in court circles that the Princess Haze, the daughter of Prince Toyonari Fujiwara, second minister at court, was the most gifted poetess of the day. Though still young, though still young, and her masters confirmed the report. Long ago, a beautiful and gifted maiden poetess had moved heaven by praying in verse, had brought down rain upon a land famished with drought. So said the ancient biographers of the poetess Onono Komachi. If the princess Haze were to write a poem and offer it in prayer, might it not stop the noise of the rushing river and remove the cause of the imperial illness? What the court said at last reached the ears of the emperor himself, and he sent an order to the minister prince Toyonari to this effect. Great indeed was Hazehime's fear and astonishment when her father sent for her and told her what was required of her. Heavy indeed was the duty that was laid on her young shoulders, that of saving the emperor's life by the merit of her verse. At last, the day came and her poem was finished. It was written on a leaflet of paper, heavily flecked with gold dust. With her father and attendant and some of the court officials, she proceeded to the bank of the roaring torrent, and raising up her heart to heaven, she read the poem she had composed 
aloud, lifting it heavenward in her two hands. Strange indeed, it seemed, to all those standing around. The waters ceased their roaring, and the river was quiet in direct answer to her prayer. After this, the emperor soon recovered his health. His majesty was highly pleased, and sent for her to the palace and rewarded her with the rank of Chinjo, that of Lieutenant General, to distinguish her. From that time, she was called Chinjo Hime, or the Lieutenant General Princess, and respected and loved by all. There was only one person who was not pleased at Hata Hime's success. That one was her stepmother forever brooding over the death of her own child whom she had killed when trying to poison her stepdaughter. She had the mortification of seeing her rise to power and honor, marked by imperial favor and the admiration of the whole court. Her envy and jealousy burned in her heart like fire. Many were the lies she carried to her husband about Haza Hime, but all to no purpose. He would listen to none of her tales telling her sharply that she was quite mistaken. At last, the stepmother, seizing the opportunity of her husband's absence, ordered one of her old servants to take the innocent girl to the Hibari Mountains, the wildest part of the country, and to kill her there. She invented a dreadful story about the little princess, saying that this was the only way to prevent disgrace falling upon the family, by killing her. Katoda, her vassal was bound to obey his mistress. He saw that it would be the wisest plan to pretend obedience in the absence of the girl's father. So he placed Hazehime in a palanquin and accompanied her to the most solitary place he could find in the wild district. The poor child knew there was no good in protesting to her unkind stepmother at being sent away in this strange manner. So she went as she was told. But the old servant knew that the young princess was quite innocent of all the things her stepmother had invented to him as reasons for her outrageous orders, and he determined to save her life. Unless he killed her, however, he could not return to his cruel taskmistress, so he decided to stay out in the wilderness. With the help of some peasants, he soon built a little cottage, and having sent secretly for his wife to come, these two good old people did all in their power to take care of the now unfortunate princess. She, all the time, trusted in her father, knowing that as soon as he returned home and found her absent, he would search for her. Prince Toyonari, after some weeks, came home and was told by his wife that his daughter Hime had done something wrong and had run away for fear of being punished. He was nearly ill with anxiety. Everyone in the house told the same story, that Hazehime had suddenly disappeared. But none of them knew why. For fear of scandal, he kept the matter quiet, and searched everywhere he could think of, but all to no purpose. One day, trying to forget his terrible worry, he called all his men together and told them to make ready for a several days hunt in the mountains. They were soon ready and mounted, waiting at the gate for their lord. He rode hard and fast to the district of the Hibari Mountains. A great company followed him. He was soon far ahead of everyone, and at last found himself in a narrow, picturesque valley. Looking around and admiring the scenery, he noticed a tiny house on one of the hills quite near. And then, 
he distinctly heard a beautiful clear voice reading aloud, seized with curiosity as to who could be studying so diligently in such a lonely spot. He dismounted, and leaving his horse to his groom, he walked up the hillside and approached the cottage. As he drew nearer, his surprise increased, for he could see that the reader was a beautiful girl. The cottage was wide open, and she was sitting, facing the view. Listening attentively, he heard her reading the Buddhist scriptures with great devotion. More and more curious, he hurried on to the tiny gate and entered the little garden, and looking up, beheld his lost daughter, Hazehime. She was so intent on what she was saying that she neither heard nor saw her father, till he spoke. Hazehime, he cried, it's you, my Hazehime. Taken by surprise, she could hardly realize that it was her own dear father who was calling her and for a moment she was utterly bereft of the power to speak or move. My father! My father! It is indeed you! Oh, my father! Was all she could say, and running to him she caught hold of his thick sleeve, and burying her face burst into a passion of tears. Her father stroked her dark hair, asking her gently to tell him all that had happened, but she only wept on, and he wondered if he were not really dreaming. Then the faithful old servant, Katoda, came out, and bowing himself to the ground before his master, poured out the long tale of wrong, telling him all that had happened, and how it was that he found his daughter in such a wild and desolate spot with only two servants to take care of her. The prince's astonishment and indignation knew no bounds. He gave up the hunt at once and hurried home. One of the company galloped ahead to inform the household of the glad news, and the stepmother, hearing what had happened, and fearful of meeting her husband now that her wickedness was discovered, fled from the house and returned in disgrace to her father's roof, and nothing more was heard of her. The old servant, Kat Oda, was rewarded with the highest promotion possible in his master's service, and lived happily to the end of his days, devoted to the little princess, who never forgot that she owed her life to this faithful retainer. She was no longer troubled by an unkind stepmother, and her days passed happily and quietly with her father. As Prince Toyonari had no son, he adopted a young son of one of the court nobles to be his heir, and to marry his daughter, Hazahime, and in a few years the marriage took place. Hazahime lived to a good old age, and all said that she was the wisest, most devout, and beautiful mistress that had ever reigned in Prince Toyonari's ancient house. She had the joy of presenting her son, the future lord of the family, to her father just before he retired from active life. To this day, there is preserved a piece of needlework in one of the Buddhist temples of Kyoto. It is a beautiful piece of tapestry with a figure of Buddha embroidered in the silky threads drawn from the stem of the lotus. This is said to have been the work of the hands of the good princess, Haze. Ah yes, nothing quite like the classic Japanese folktales. They usually have solid morals and a lesson learned after each one. The golden boy had a very interesting narrative 
and one that I would not have picked for a Japanese folktale. It also flowed quite differently with the bad or negative event starting at the beginning, with a slow rise to the positive outcome at the end. Whilst the Princess Haze was in a typical narrative format with the moral of justice as its theme. Which one did you like best? Don't be afraid to have an opinion on it. I'm going to say Princess Haze. I love the fact that her words could move nature to her will. The imagery around this was just great and the events in that story were interesting and creative. The Golden Boy wasn't too far off because who doesn't like the idea of a child with super strength and the ability to talk to animals? So yeah, it was a close one for me. Thank you so much for listening, mate. Yes, you on the other end. And if you get a couple of seconds, yep, seconds is all it takes, to leave an iTunes review, I'd love for you to do that. Swing by iTunes when you get a chance, and if you write a little bit about why you like the show, I'll be sure to include you in the shoutouts. And for any of you who are listening to this on different platforms, feel free to send an email straight to me regarding the show, and I'll be sure to do a shout-out just for you. And proofed in the pudding here, I've got an email from Scott about the podcast. The title is Awesome Stories. He writes, To the man down under with a kick-butt accent. Found this podcast on iHeartRadio and love this podcast. You do a fantastic job at telling the stories. You keep my interest and make my workday go fast. Oh, that's great to hear. An awesome podcast when welding. <laughs> that's interesting. Keep up the awesome work. By the way, love to hear more stories about rituals. Keep up the awesome work, buddy. God bless you, brother. From Scott, the American welder. Later. That may be the first time I've heard anyone positively review this podcast with regards to welding. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Scott. I love these kinds of reviews, and especially reviews like this sent straight to me via my email. If you have any suggestions, stories of your own, or even reviews, send it my way at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com, just like Scott did. And stick with me Friday where I read something different. And next week, I'll be bringing back listener stories, in particular, Tom Keithley's new series titled Pandemonium. I cannot wait to sink my teeth into those. But that's all for now. And as always, till next time.